Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. Today I'm joined by both of my co-hosts, Abigail Prinz. Hey, what's up, what's up? And Evan Garcia. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is our uh, first, well, I guess you could say second, but first official ag issues topic episode. And we're going to be talking about genetic modification and biotechnology. Um, we're going to be giving you guys a general overview of the topic. We're not going to be debating it or having you know any strong bias towards one side or the other. We're going to just be stating the facts, defining uh, what it is and its history, pros and cons, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, so I guess let's jump right into it. Evan, why don't you tell our audience here uh, the definition of biotechnology and the history of this science? So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of biotechnology is actually the manipulation of living organisms or their components in order to produce useful crops and products for our consuming public. Uh, The first ever genetically modified organism was patented by the FDA in 1994, and that was actually the flavor saver tomato. This allowed for a, um, this allowed for our producers to genetically modify tomatoes in order for them to stay on shelves for a longer period of time. So before this, a regular organically grown tomato could stay on the shelf for approximately 15 days. However, after the flavor saver tomato was produced and um, put on the shelves for consumers, it was able to last up to 45 days on Dang. the shelf. So <laughs> wow. this actually helped a lot with um, the consumers and producers being able to keep their produce for a long period of time and a food waste problem we have seen in our country. Which is still existing. Which yeah. is still existing. <laughs> Unfortunately. Which is why we need genetically modified organisms. We'll get into that later. Uh, of course. <laughs> uh, also, another example I have is the Atlantic salmon, which is a... Um, salmon obviously and they it's a a live organism that they take um, the growth hormone regulating gene from a pacific chinook salmon and put it into the atlantic salmon in order for it to grow year-round rather than just the spring and summer months it grows in 16 to 18 months to its ultimate size without affecting the ultimate size it's naturally supposed to reach and it grows that in 16 18 months rather than the three years that it usually takes to grow wow that's impressive yeah Mm -hmm. So kudos to whoever figured that out. And if I'm not mistaken, this salmon is the first and only genetically modified animal to be on the market for human yes, consumption. Yes, it is on the market for human consumption. This, the, um, the growth of the salmon and the concept behind that has really allowed us to expand in what we know about genetically modified organisms and in order for us to produce food faster for our rapidly growing population and produce a higher quantity of it. Um, I can just give another example of a genetically modified organism is a strawberry. We have been able to take um, genes from an arctic flounder and use it in the strawberry in order for the strawberry to grow in the colder months where usually it's only able to grow in the warmer months. So that keeps right. us people who like strawberries <laughs> happier. That's me right here. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right. And with that, Abby will start off our conversation about the kind of positive pros we have about genetically modified organisms. Well, I think with genetically modified organisms, you really have to look at how this will better the consuming public, because I think that's really what scientists who have patented this idea, what the ultimate goal was to give better products and more products to the public. So I think one of the big ones is the quantity, like the increase in yield. I know that Like corn has definitely been genetically, 92% of corn is genetically modified, and a lot of it is to produce more yield. Yeah, no, I think there was a study um, conducted by a a university, was it it NC State? Am I I right in saying that? I'm not exactly sure. Okay, I'm pretty sure I read this article about um, a study conducted by NC State University that states uh, that 
the average genetically modified crop has 22% more yield than its organic counterparts, and that's kind of a, a huge jump there. 22%, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think about how, how much that's, that's huge. That, how much of an increase that is, that's amazing. Um, yeah, just to put that into context, actually, you can kind of think about it as if you have 100 acres of corn, like Abby brought up, a 22% yield increase would give us 122 acres of corn. Yeah. So an acre is a lot of, produces quite a bit of food. So right. 22 more acres on top of that within the same um, product is pretty um, beneficial to our consumers. Absolutely. Um, so another uh, kind of advantage or pro you could say to genetic modification is um, genetically modified foods are actually proven to be safer in many ways in comparison to their organic counterparts. Um, one of the ways they do this is they can actually manipulate the effective, the functionality of enzymes within that food and makes them more resistant to foodborne diseases, so which reduces the, the rate of food poisoning in, in the growing population. And not only making them resistant to foodborne illnesses, but we've actually had genetically modified foods that combat it, combat illnesses that are found in the human body already. For example, in parts of Southeast Asia and Africa, we see children that are diagnosed with infantile blindness um, as young as five years old, you know, and they're blind for most of their life. But since implementation of golden rice, which has extra beta carotene in it and stuff that will allow the infantile blindness to be combated, we've seen that number grow from every one in five children. No, I'm sorry. For every three and five children to every one in five children, I believe. So that That's really, huge. yeah, that really brought down those numbers and the health benefits to the people in um, suffering countries like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a great example of, of the point we're trying to make here. Um, I think another one of the more common uh, benefits to genetic modification that is the uh, increased resistance to weather, pests, weeds, you know, all these outside forces that typically create um, very large obstacles for the for the farmers. Um, there's a lot of crops today and a lot of um, genetically modified organisms today that uh, have this in board they're born with this resistance to these to these types of effects I mean for example we have Roundup Ready crops especially Roundup Ready corn and this is resistant to a variety of different types of um, harmful weeds to these uh, or harmful pests to these uh, crops and uh, I think that this advancement of, the, of these types of Roundup Ready and, and other types of resistant crops really expanded the possibility for genetic modification for pro, uh, productivity levels and for you know all these different obstacles that were once huge problems for farmers are now being overcome in more um, simple and more uh, effective ways. Yeah, and I think, so recently I watched a documentary, it's on Amazon Video, pretty sure that's where I watched it, it's called Food Evolution, and if you have any time to watch it, it is so interesting, it shows the pros and the cons are like both sides of the consuming public and the farmers what they perceive GMOs as being. And I talked about um, the rainbow Hawaiian papaya, mm. and there was a big disease that came and hit all the rainbow papaya, uh, papaya that was in <laughs> Hawaii. And, but the people in Hawaii were very afraid and they didn't want to genetically engineer the papaya because they were so afraid that it would hurt them or their children. And I think that's really important as a consumer, especially a lot of moms going and shopping in grocery stores, seeing those labels. and oh, GMOs, I don't know what that is. I don't know what I should do about this. But so the Hawaiian people were very torn and you could see both sides. The farmers came into the city council to debate their side. You had the consuming public debating their side. But then they finally took the papaya in 
and genetically modified it, they pulled out one of the genes and inserted another gene that was resistant to this disease and started breeding and um, replanting these papaya and they were all resistant to the disease. And so just seeing that type of advancement that they're able to overcome this, mm -hmm. I think that was very beneficial for the Hawaiian population or else that would that species of papaya would have gone extinct. Very interesting. Absolutely. And I think um, your story uh, just now of, of the papaya, uh, it actually reminded me of a current issue that we're having going on right now in the agriculture industry, which is the potential for the extinction of bananas. Um, Right that now, was also in food evolution, the yeah. whole banana thing, yeah. Uh, bananas are currently facing a uh, fungus that is, it, it takes many different uh, names, banana will, uh, TR4, or tropical race 4, or, you know, it has a variety of different names, the banana, uh, it looks gross, the though. Panama disease, it's gross. and basically what this does to the, to the banana <laughs> actual crop is it cuts off the xylem of the crop, so that way it's not capable of uptaking the proper amounts of water and nutrients, and it causes these bananas to ripen at a rate much faster than they're naturally supposed to ripen. And this basically kills off a farmer's whole plant uh, banana field. And the main problem with this is bananas are, are a major um, Food commodity. Yeah, a major commodity that the United States uh, likes to import and, and likes to sell in, in their grocery stores. Everyone likes bananas, right? Um, uh-huh, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I like bananas. So, anyway. Yeah, depends on my mood. <laughs> anyway, the reason that this uh, fungus is so damaging to the banana plant is because for since the beginning of banana farming, bananas have been not only uh, specifically organically grown, they're also inbred. They're also all basically clones of each other, like to the point where there's no genetic variation whatsoever. They don't crossbreed very often. They have no genetic modification. They have no... There's nothing to change about them. Yeah, there's nothing to change in their genetic code. And so they're so susceptible to these outside dangers. And the farmers, because of the areas that these bananas are grown in, refuse to change their genes in a way they'll help uh, prevent this 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 potential well and they can't afford it either right because a lot of the banana especially well this also showed up in food evolution this whole banana wilt that when they opened up the banana it was all black and gooey and slimy and it was kind of it was actually really gross like i like <laughs> bananas but that was just kind of like ah what's going on here but these farmers there was one lady that organically grows bananas and she was so afraid to grow them genetically as genetically engineered but then she saw another um another farmer that grows them genetic that was genetically engineering bananas and grew them and she immediately after that day that less than 24 hours spent with that farmer she wanted to change her practice of farming organically right and it's just we'll talk about this a little bit more later on but just like the drastic measures that, that some farmers have to go to just because they um maybe they refuse genetic modification or maybe they can't afford um, whatever processes they have to go through to get to this level of production, the increase in production and the increase in profits, the increase in you know safety and, and the strength of their crop after transitioning over to neg modification is it's just huge. It's it's unimaginable. And so um, I think that kind of takes us in. Uh, we're talking a little bit about you know people that refuse to grow their crops in a genetically modified. Um, using genetically modified methods, I think that kind of brings us into the con side of our discussion today. And um, just starting off the con side, the largest disadvantage to genetic modification is that the public is so opposed to the idea of it for a variety of reasons. Um, the, pro the most common reason that I've heard of that the public is so opposed to is just because it's a newer science. Uh, like Evan told you, the first 
genetically modified crop to ever come out for human consumption was in 1994. I mean, a little that's, over 20 years ago. That's not very it's long. Almost 25 years ago. Yeah, that's not that's not a very long time ago. And that's so people are not very. Almost 25 years. <laughs> you guys feeling old yet? I feel so old. <laughs> so the people that. Um, are opposed to this, they, they basically say, well, 25 years isn't that long. How do you know it's safe? Mm-hmm. How do you know it doesn't have any long-term effects on my body? It's not going to affect my children or my mm-hmm. grandchildren. And we understand that that side of it, but that's just something that you you can't base it entirely on, well, it hasn't been around that long, so I'm not sure if I should mm-hmm. trust it. And I think a lot of um, the ways we can combat that right there is that there are those people that are very concerned about their health and very concerned about the environment along this process as well. And there are a lot of unanswered questions to the long-term effects because we've only had it for 20-some years. However, the technology that we've had in the past 10 years has grown extensive in our society and the ways we're able to research and the scientists are able to do these types of researches on the genetically modified organisms to ensure that they are safe is really beneficial to knowing and having that sanity in mind that what they're doing is safe. As well as this, um, the regulations that are put on biotechnology is created by the Coordinated Framework for Biotechnology. And that's made up of the Food and Drug Administration, the United States Department of Agriculture, and even the Environmental Protection Agency. So all of these organizations take into account everything that researchers find about genetically modified foods and still allow these certain foods to be produced for consumers, which speaks a lot to the credibility of them and to the safety of them that they're being put on the market because they are safe for humans to consume. Well, and why would a farmer produce food that, well, if you take a consumer and a farmer, the farmer produces the food for the consumer to have, but the farmer's also eating the same food. So if the farmer really wanted to harm the food, they're really harming themselves Mm -hmm. because their family's gonna consume the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, exactly. So I think that's just kind of, um, it's just something that I think that people just don't understand the full picture of the situation. They just see it, and and this kind of goes into a few of the other um, major uh, misconceptions about genetic modification. A lot of people fear that it's unnatural and that it defies nature, and and it's just you know it's it's playing a role that humans should not have the ability to play, which is taking genetic variation from other things and adding it to a you know a, a crop or an animal to change their biology. Which, but we also use genetic engineering in humans too especially with people like with cancer they use an immunotherapy Mm -hmm. to find the defective gene and use a new gene that's not defective Mm -hmm. and then the person's fine again so i think people don't know that though that it's also used in humans and not just well i I think not only that i think the people um that they see it from an unnatural standpoint just because they don't understand that the science of it is really just what i like to call um accelerated evolution and what I mean by that is through constant generations of crossbreeding, we can reach the same end result that we reach with genetic modification anyway. With the strawberry example, with the salmon, with the bananas, with anything, whatever result we would get by genetically modifying them, that can be reached naturally. It, it would just take generations and generations and generations and generations of crossbreeding, of environmental adaptation. Of, and we don't have time for that. And we don't have time <laughs> for that. I mean, we mm-hmm. we have to be able to feed the public now. And Farmers have to feed more people in the next four, 40 years than in the past 400 years combined. And the resources are getting wow. even more limited with the land being taken up by urbanization, environmental issues, 
So we do have less farmland to do that. So this is a perfect way to enhance those crop yields in order to feed that population. That yeah, and no. more land is not being produced. Like right. whatever we have, that's yeah, what we, we have. have. <laughs> we don't have more land. Yeah, no, we, there's definitely a lot of factors that, that go into that, which we're going to go into in just a second. There's one more point on the con side that I kind of wanted to go over, which was a little bit more scientifically based. And that's that using genetic modification creates, um, I guess you'd call them, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the term would be it, it creates pests and weeds that are resistant to pesticides so like a super weed super weed yeah that's that's what i was looking for it creates this resistance that makes it even more difficult for the farmers to get rid of and it just creates more of a problem than it's worth which i understand that side of it as well that's a little bit more of a scientific basis less of a um an emotional fear which is which it doesn't is, happen all the time but it's potential it is potential and that's i think that's what people are scared of i think they're scared of the the possibility that it will happen and that should even be less on the people being scared of it, and the farmers should be more, more scared. That's more on the farmer, yeah. Right, yeah. No, I, I agree with you there. It's just it's that's something that a lot of um, organic farmers fear, and that's that's one of the main arguments that they use. And I just wanted to address that that point um, if we're going to be addressing the counter arguments to that claim, which I think it's important that we address both sides of this argument in order to keep everything you know neutral and fair and, and non biased, even though. We're going to be talking about our perspectives here in a few, in a few seconds, but um, transitioning into that portion of this episode, I think it's very important that the audience understands that just because we support genetic modifications, we support biotechnology, we're not saying that those who don't are bad people. We're not saying that those who don't are we're not radical. Yeah, we're not we're not opposing those who don't just because of their beliefs. We're here to teach. We're here to yeah, we're here to teach. We're here we're here to help those who do not understand the concept in a full perspective to understand that full concept. And if they understand it just as well as we do and they still oppose us, then you know, I that we did all we can do that that's I respect their their side of it. But going into the some of the points we made earlier by the year 2050, we're expected to have a population of 9.7 billion people. Our current population is 7.9 billion people. That's a 1.2, no. No. That's a 1.8% or 1.8. Anyway, it's a big increase. There's there's a two And almost billion, 2 million. And almost, two and al billion people increase. Yeah, there's almost 2 billion more people coming to this earth within the next 30 years. We have to be able to feed them more food than we produced in the past, what was it, 400? Is that 400 what you said, years. That's an unimaginable task using only organic methods. It's just, there's there's no possible way to feed mm -hmm. a population that large. There, there's no feasible way to, to even comprehend that much food, to even comprehend that large of a population. The only way that we can feed that population is with genetic modification, is with new and, and more advanced uh, forms of technology and um, advancements in agriculture that are coming out today and the problem with it is people say you know oh this science has only been around for 24 25 years how am I supposed to trust it well the reason it we had to get it started so early and this goes along with another argument people always say well that's not gonna be a problem for another 30 years why we have to why we have to focus on it so hard now because people don't realize it'll we, be too late then. we need the time to get it ready now if yeah like, like Ivy said if we wait too long we might not have the science perfected and, and we might not be able to feed a population at large, which is something that we can't have happen. It's already happening. It is already happening, and which is very but upsetting. But people ignore that fact, I think. I think that's a big deal right now, that people are very food, food insecure, and there's many countries in the world that don't have enough food to feed mm -hmm. their families. But 
I feel like for Americans, we are very privileged, and we overlook that a lot. Just tossing food, like, oh, you're not going to eat this, well, toss it. But you think about other people in other countries not that at my house <laughs> don't have don't enough food to put on the toss your plate if there's food on there you finish your food yeah. but i'm saying or the I average american family i finish it for you, family, <laughs> it for you. <laughs> but like those families they don't have enough food to put on their table mm-hmm. but we take it for granted yeah no i i think that we definitely do and um there's a couple things i kind of just wanted to, a couple facts i wanted to throw out there just as mythbusters towards um, GMO fear, biotech fear, and that's people think that as soon as something is genetically modified, it goes on the market immediately, which oh. is not true. Oh. On average, oh. GMOs go through 13 years worth of testing before they even touch the shelves for human mm-hmm. consumption. They go through, you know, hundreds of it's trials. Expensive. So expensive. There's so many trials they have to go through, so many tests they have to pass, and if they fail just one test, back to the drawing board. They do not get to even touch the market, and that's a that's a, a huge misconception. People always think, well. You know, they just genetically modified that crop and threw it on my shelf. That's it not just what happens. happens. Yeah. Like those farmers have to get tons of approval through tons of, of years of testing and research just to make sure that crop is safe for your consumption before it ever, t- it ever touches your plate. I think that's important to understand. And by the way, that was um, according to a Phyllis Mc, um, McDougall study that I, I was reading um, a couple months back. Um, another thing. This is from the Genetic genetic Literacy Project, something you referenced earlier, Evan, and that's that 88% of scientists agree that genetically modified foods are safe for human consumption. And you can't get scientists to agree on anything. Right, and that's that's kind of a a big deal because, you know, we have the population, a a very small percent of the population does not believe the GMOs are safe. And whether that's out of a lack of understanding, do you have something to say? Oh, yeah. Actually, a, um, a study at Rutgers <laughs> University in New Jersey shows that 53% of people know little to nothing about genetically modified organisms, and only less than 2% know a great deal about them. And I personally believe that that correlates with the less than 2% of the population that is directly involved with production agriculture. And I think our consumers that are going to be the one purchasing, the, purchasing these foods need to be informed and be and make that 2% of people that know a great deal a larger percentage in order for us to be a more educated public on this matter. I absolutely agree. And so, yeah, it's just people like to reference science, scientists a lot. They say, well, if the scientists don't trust us, why am I supposed to trust it? Well, these scientists, 88% of these scientists trust us. They trust the farmers. They trust their own work in saying that genetic modification is safe and that we do need it to feed a population this large and that there's literally you know, there's literally no other possible way we're going to be able to feed a population this large in the years to come if we do not resort to these methods mm-hmm. so i think overall the kind of um ending point we want to make here is there's a large misconception about genetic modification and i believe that that's the main source of all this opposition to the science all this you know um favorite uh, favoritism towards organic food and towards you know um, less conventional methods of farming and, and that's completely understandable I mean um, if you're not around agriculture very often or if you're not around genetic modification very often and you, and you don't have someone to teach you about what these methods are it can sound scary from an outside perspective I mean you take the genes from one thing and stick it in another thing and expect people to be okay with that I mean just the idea of it sounds a little far-fetched it sounds like something out of like a Frankenstein mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. but it's our job, and it's the job of anyone who does understand the science, to explain to those who don't mm-hmm. 
what the overall cause of this is or what the overall purpose of this is. And that's to feed a population that we are not going to be able to feed anytime soon. And I like to add a little food for thought on that, pun intended. <laughs> every single person, every single living person on this earth must consume food in order to survive. Right. Every single person. There's no way around it. No loopholes. You must eat to nourish your body. And in order to do that, we must be able to produce enough food for those consumers and for the population. Also, another just little fact out there is that in the years we have had genetically modified organism and the extensive tests and researches that we have seen with, these, with this engineering, there has not been one single study that shows any harmful effect to human health. Not one. That's right. I was actually thinking about adding that in. I'm glad that you caught that, Evan, because I would have forgotten. But yeah, that just goes to show that they go through 13 years worth of testing. They go, they've been around for 25 years, and yeah, they may be new, but they've gone through more testing than most other consumable products that humans even use. I mean, because this is such a new science and because there's so much opposition to it, it's that much more important that they're proven to be safe for our consumption. I mean, scientists, farmers, like Abby was saying, like Evan was saying, they wouldn't put something on your plate if they knew it was going to hurt you. It wouldn't benefit anybody in that sense. So, yeah, that was just our perspective. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to add to that? No, I don't think so. All right, so yeah, that was our perspective on the issue and, and our kind of, um, I guess you could say, clarification on why this issue is such a, an important it's one. It's a big for, deal. Yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's such an important topic for people to understand. And... Um, one thing I kind of wanted to do is if you guys have your own statements you want to make, maybe something, maybe a fact that we didn't cover, maybe a, a pro or a con that we didn't go over, um, or maybe you have your own opinion on the stance, whether it be pro or, or against, um, get a hold of us because we'd love to talk to you about this topic a little bit more just to, you know, to help ensure that you guys are really processing the things that we're saying and, and the issue um, at hand. Because if you guys reach out to us and, and tell us about what we're saying here, that really shows that you guys care about what we have to say and, and that we're doing a good job here. So, yeah, I think that kind of um, I think that kind of wraps up what what we have to, uh, to what we have to say as far as the topic of genetic modification and biotechnology. I think this was a pretty good episode. I think we covered mm -hmm. yeah. a good amount of information. Sure. And um, yeah, so that's about it. Like I said, if you guys have any um, questions, comments, concerns on this topic, or if you have any recommendations for future topics you want us to talk about, future people you want on uh, the show, make sure you reach out to us on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, YouTube, Snapchat, whatever, at Talk Academy, and we'll be sure to get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Um, so if you guys don't have anything else to say, then I think we're going to wrap up the episode here. So, you know, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll catch you next Wednesday. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer. <laughs>